Good morning. Well, do you like the new look? I was dressed by some 20-year-olds this morning. Quite literally, we had some of our younger members of our team help me dress today, and uh, uh, we're talking about the next generation, so I thought, well, what if I tried to dress like the next generation? Would that make me more equipped and able to reach them and to pour into them? And throughout the weekend, the answer has been no, this does not help me whatsoever in that endeavor. I'm so uncomfortable in these clothes. Strangely, you know, they said, wear a T-shirt, and I said, but I still have to, and I still had another T-shirt underneath. It just, I can't get beyond, just. But you know what? I love the Converse high tops because it's been since, I think, 1977 since I wore Converse high tops in my seventh grade basketball team. I did want to wear this just to talk a little bit about the next generation. We're, We're in the middle of a series called Calvary Next. Uh, where we've been looking at the book of Acts and looking at various themes as the church in the first century is growing, we're we're looking at some of the key things that were a part of that growth and those things that apply to today. And and the passage we're going to look at today and uh, think about really talks about the next generation and how we continue to take the gospel to the next generation, disciple them, and reach them. And and I want to be clear right up front, this will probably be the last time you'll ever see me dressed this way. Because part of my point is we don't change ourselves to try to do something, that, that, but we take them where they are and, and we disciple them and we empower them to lead forward in reaching their generation, the next generation, even the generations beyond us. If you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, go back into the book of Acts, we'll look at this together. You can get your Bible app out on your phone, your mobile device, and join me in Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, let me mention a couple of things. Number one, uh, the young man who came up on the stage is a wonderful part of our special abilities ministry. Uh, we know him well, and he was, I think, actually coming up to help Brian Howard or something, and, uh, uh, but he's a great part of our church family, and just so you can be aware of that, I know sometimes when somebody comes up on the stage unannounced, it can kind of throw you if you, you wonder what's going on, or is it another thing Sean's doing, like dressing this way? Um, but he's a wonderful part of our church family. Secondly, um, I'm going to try and say this uh, a little more clearly without getting as as emotional. Uh, A few weeks ago, we mentioned to you that Leslie and I had traveled to Europe and we had spent some time uh, with some partners that if they were standing here next to me would be familiar to the Calvary family, been partners of ours for uh, before I got here 14 years ago. And um, I mentioned that we were going to see them because they were part of a, a part of the world that was persecuted, and about four days after they returned home from our opportunity to meet them, uh, things changed in their environment, and uh, severe threats came their way, and uh, so they had to flee their country. Um, The husband fled first, and then the wife and the two children, and uh, they have been uh, people without a country now. Um, And part of the persecution was because they, in the thoughts of their government, brought Western ideas through Christianity to that part of the world, and it was being rejected and been investigated by secret police and those kinds of things. And so uh, they are now, we've been working with lawyers and others trying to find a way to help them find their way to the U.S., where we would then sponsor them and bring him on our team. And their desire is to return to their nation 
uh, to take the gospel there when the government changes. And uh, Leslie and I had some time. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> I thought I would make it. We had some time this morning, about a half hour, with uh, this dear couple. And uh, they're so close. Uh, a lot of doors had to open for them to get out of their country, to get into another country, then to get into another country in an attempt to come here and seek asylum. And uh, it's kind of like in football, they have come, they've gone 99 yards, and they're on the one-yard line with goal to go. And uh, it's been frustrating, and they're frightened. Um, they've, they've just each packed one bag, left their house, and are people without a country. <clears throat> and hearing them this morning as we were talking, <clears throat> our elders were able to talk with them a week ago in a meeting, and some of our staff, uh, they're worn out, they're weary. Uh, they've been under kind of investigation by the government for five to seven years. And uh, uh, they're kind of knocking on the door, uh, attempting to find a way to seek uh, religious persecution asylum here. And they're so close. And so I'd ask you to pray for uh, perseverance, patience, strength, for our dear friends, again, many of you would recognize them if they stood here. We haven't been able to have them on the platform in probably five to seven years. Um, but we've committed to standing with them and helping them. Part of the reason they were kind of put in jeopardy what was once celebrated by their government decades ago has now become the very thing that creates the persecution has brought them under threat. But they are worn out. You can hear it in their voices. Um, so we're doing all we can our elders have taken a posture, whatever is needed, to try to help them as best we can. And we promised them again this morning we'll stand with them. Uh, pastor Jason and uh, our executive pastor and Brian Field, our missions pastor, uh, are traveling to be with them where they are to see if they can be of ministry to them and also help them as they seek to knock on the door of the U.S. And I would say if any of you have any connections to immigration or opportunities like that, we have been frantically looking and uh, systematically looking for ways in which we can provide help to these dear brothers, this dear brother and sister in Christ and their two little kids. Uh, we're committed financially to them. Some folks asked about how they could be involved and if you have any desire to help in keeping them housed where they are and help feed them and do those kinds of things, you can see Pastor Brian Howard after the, the service. I hope you hear my heart on this. <clears throat> And uh, they're near and dear to us. I just want to pause and pray for them and pray for we have brothers and sisters in, in Christ all around the world in places like Iran and, and uh, Ukraine and Russia and other places where there's heavy persecution just for being a follower of Jesus. And would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this dear couple and how Calvary has worked with them long before I got here and uh, how they have just by sharing Christ, been accused of bringing Western ideas in and thought of as a threat. And uh, Lord, thank you for the safety you've given them. The doors you've opened have been amazing where we thought they might be stopped at this point or that point. And they're so close to a, a place where they can be safe and uh, can go through a process that can protect them. And I pray you'd open the door, that you would change a heart. And even as today, there'll be an attempt to make an approach to officials. I pray, Father, that you would open hearts and minds and uh, open the door 
give peace and uh, uh, bring some peace that would relieve the stress. They're frail, they're weary, uh, they love you and still say all they want is God's will to be done. Bless them, uh, give our team with them today uh, and, and as we're with them the next couple of days to just be of, of help and encouragement. Thank you that we get to partner way beyond the borders of our country uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ who have nothing in common with other than Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me take one moment here. This time I brought plenty of Kleenex. I wasn't prepared for that emotion, but it was an emotional Zoom call this morning for about a half hour that Leslie and I had. <clears throat> we're talking about our next generation here in, in Acts chapter 16, and we're gonna look at Acts 16 and just look at some of this chapter. I read it years ago, and it, it just dawned on me as I was reading through the Bible in my own quiet time with the Lord, I, I saw so clearly that in this chapter, there's a big emphasis on getting the gospel to the next generation, of discipling the next generation, particularly in Paul, the Apostle Paul's relationship with a young man named Timothy, who he pours his life and ministry into and disciples him. And, and so today, as we talk about our next generation here at Calvary, we talk about Calvary Next, this series looking at the book of Acts and what we can glean from the book of Acts in our own ministry, in our own lives today. And as we look forward to 2030 and what God will do for us in our Calvary 2030 vision, I want us to see this, that God calls us to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. God calls us to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. In other words, we're called to this this journey of knowing Christ, coming to Christ by faith, and then walking with him and growing in him and following him as disciples, but we're to look back at others and say, follow me as I follow Jesus, and we pour our lives into others, and as those that are ahead of us, not only in chronological age, but also in spiritual maturity, pour into us, then we pour into the next generation, and our, our, our attempt in pouring into the next generation, so they'll reach generations we may never meet. We do this until Jesus comes. And so God calls us to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We've been talking in this Calvary 30 vision the last few weeks about three of the main themes of this vision. Two weeks ago, Pastor Brian Howard uh, talked about that we wanna be a church by 2030 that's doing three things. And he gave us number one, deliberately, we wanna be a church that deliberately elevates our love for God's word. A church that deliberately elevates our love for God's word. He did a great job with that. And then last week I talked about how we want to dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion. Our elders, our leaders say, we need to ratchet up our level of Christ-like compassion. We dealt with that in last Sunday's message. And today we talk about this third theme for us as a church as we move toward 2030. We want to decisively empower our next generation. Not just do we want to try to be cool and hip, and that's not part of the strategy. We want to adapt and be able to reach them and to pour into the next generation. And so we're going to talk about that today. And let me just say, this, this applies to you as parents, as you're seeking to disciple and raise up your own children in the Lord. To you as grandparents, who want to have an influence on your grandchildren. Some of you have nieces and nephews. Some of you have a relationship with friends and their kids. And we're talking about how do we pour into the next generation for Jesus and how do we do that well? And then for us collectively as a church, Calvary has a rich history of 46 years of reaching the next generation for Jesus. And we've attempted to continue that and we look forward to doing that and even taking our 
next generation ministries to the next level. And let me stop and say right now to those of you who work in early childhood with our nurseries, those of you who work with elementary ministries here at Calvary, those of you who work in the middle school and high school ministries or young adults, those of you who serve or pray for our, our special abilities ministries, thank you, thank you, thank you for the way you serve. Thank you for the time you give, the, the heart you give. Thank you for those of you who pray for those ministries and the next generation, those who work with them here at Calvary. Thank you for those of you who give regularly to Calvary because you support our ability, not just to minister around the globe with partners like I mentioned this morning who, who are putting their lives and their security on the line to get the gospel out to others, but thank you that you're investing in what God's doing right here in the next generation in our church family, in our community, and even all around the world. As we look at this, this section of Acts 16 and we think about Paul's writings and his communication that included what he was doing to pour into the young man, Timothy, I want us to see today that we all need a Paul and we all need a Timothy. We all need people who are ahead of us a little bit in their spiritual growth and they're pouring into us what they've learned and what they've experienced. And then we need to be people who are pouring into our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews. We need to be pouring into the next generation in our church family and in our community. We all need a Paul. Do you have a Paul who's pouring into you spiritually? A lot of people after the last two services said, you're my Paul. I'm glad to be a part of that, but you need someone you have a relationship with that's pouring into you for the needs you have. We all need a Timothy. Do you have someone? You know, Paul told Titus, another young man he was developing the ministry and pouring himself into, he said, make sure that as you pastor and encourage the older women to pour into the younger women and the older men to pour into the younger men, there was something so important in this that we need to understand in our world today and in our church today. Look with me at Acts chapter 16. Let's look at this chapter, and there are three particular stories in this chapter that emphasize the next generation. The first one's found in verses one through five. Follow along. <clears throat> Follow along as I read Acts 16, 1 through 5. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So he has a mother who's Jewish in background, and we know in some of Paul's writings, Timothy has a grandmother who was Jewish in background. Both of them had embraced Jesus as the Messiah, probably during Paul's first missionary trip, where he went to their town and preached the gospel, and many came to Jesus. A church was established, and during Paul's three missionary journeys that took place over years, that would be in the area of the Roman Empire that would be in the northeast section of the rim of the Mediterranean. Much of this would be in modern-day Turkey and, and Greece and those areas. And so he's been on one missionary journey and there's been an impact for the gospel so that uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother came to Jesus. It appears the father who is Gentile in his background has not come to Jesus, but Timothy has been growing. So this verse, or this chapter, chapter 16, is the second missionary journey of Paul. He's going back to those places where he preached the gospel and churches have been started, and he's encouraging them. And so it says there at the end of this verse, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Timothy had a character, he's probably about 16 or 17 years old. He has this about him that people are saying, he, he is mature in the Lord for his age. And he's at the age where apprenticeship could be 
could be a part of his life and was natural in the ancient world. And so something happens between him and Paul. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. This is so that he can minister in both the, the Jewish world and the Greek world. And then we read, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now he takes Timothy along with him, and also we know that the writer of the book of Acts is along for this journey, Luke. He writes in the first person plural, as we'll see. Luke is along for the journey, and Silas is with them. So there's this team, this ministry team, and this second, this second journey in this area by Paul, the second missionary journey. And as they take Timothy in, God continues to bless, and people come to Jesus, and the church continues to grow. And then if you move down to verse 13, we read the story of a woman named Lydia. Look at verse 13 of Acts 16. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. That was a very expensive item in the world in that day. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul preached the gospel she responded and accepted Christ as Savior. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Notice that Lydia, this woman, comes to Christ and her family comes to Jesus. Those who are part of her household. And so it's not just reaching her generation, it's reaching the next generation. Just like in Timothy's life, his mother and his grandmother were reached, but it reached into his generation as well, this gospel message. And then we read toward the end of this a famous story of Paul and Silas. They're thrown in prison because a demon has been cast out of a young girl and she had been used for profit for others and it causes this disturbance because these people who were using and abusing her uh, no longer are able to do that with her as she's released from this demon, but they are challenged and thrown in jail because of it. And they're in jail. Not only, the, the passage says that they're in the inner, most secure part of the jail. And we pick up at verse 25 with Paul and Silas in jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, just what everybody does at midnight, right? You're praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. How can these people sing? They're in the maximum security part of this jail. How can they sing to their God? Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. God supernaturally shakes this prison. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. They can all go running out. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And that day, if you were a jailer and the people you're supposed to protect got out, if there was a prison escape, before they went looking for the people to escape, they killed you as the jailer for failure to do your duties. And he says, I'm not gonna let them kill me, I'm gonna kill myself. And we read then, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Nobody has left. It's dark. It's midnight. Uh, they have no idea. They just assume since everything is open, they've run out. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do we got to do to be rescued? Those songs you were singing earlier, what do we got to do to know that God? Look at their response. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament Acts 16, 31, they, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe, believe. Some of you have heard that message. You can have a relationship with God through Jesus, his son, who loved you so much, he died, was buried, and was raised for you. 
And, and you may be asking, how do I get forgiveness? How do I get saved? How do I get a relationship with God? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will rescue you, make you his child. I'd love to chat with you about that after the service. I'll be in the lobby. Our care and prayer team is always down front after service to pray with you about any needs you or your family have. They'll be there to pray with you, answer questions. And then you can just take uh, your phone out and text the name Jesus as the body of the message to the number that's below me on the screen. And, and as you send that text, you'll get a response from us that'll help you understand that good news of Jesus. Whether you're online or you're in the room, uh, we'll follow up with you if you text the name Jesus to that number and somebody on our team this week will reach out to you. We wanna make sure that everybody knows what this jailer is asking. How do I have a relationship with God? How am I rescued and saved from the brokenness and sin of my life? It's Jesus. Trust Jesus. We read on, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Notice again, he comes to faith and so does his family. The gospel that we share, yes, reaches adults, but it reaches students and children as well. And there is this emphasis in Acts 16 about how the gospel, yes, is spreading from city to city and region to region as Paul and others preach it in the early days of the church of the first century, but there's also something happening where the gospel is going to the next generation. Now, I wanna encourage you to take this week the books of First and Second Timothy. Those are Paul writing to Timothy who he traveled over seven years with before he began to send Timothy out on his own and Timothy shepherded churches he poured himself into Timothy. And if you read First and Second Timothy, you get the heart of Paul. Just sit down. You could do it in about 30 to 40 minutes at the most. That's reading fairly slowly. You probably do it in 20 to 30 minutes. You can read First and Second Timothy and listen for Paul's heart as he pours himself into the young man Timothy. Just sit down one day this week and read First and Second Timothy through and see this emphasis of reaching the next generation and equipping and empowering them to reach the next generation. So I want to just share with you four ideas coming out of Acts 16 and then through the writings of Paul related to his relationship with Timothy, four ways in which we can impact the next generation. You can do this with your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, the children you have an impact on, the students you have an impact on. We can do this as a church. And let me just share these four things with you and, and, and take these things and begin to pour into somebody else the things of Christ. Number one, invite them to grow with you, not just learn from you. Invite them to grow with you, not just learn from you. This isn't just a data dump. This is a way of life. Paul writes these two letters to Timothy as he's a young man in the ministry, and he opens up his first letter, 1 Timothy, in verse one, verse two, he says, I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. That's a relationship. That's not just an information line. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, in the second letter he writes to him, he says, I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. You see this as a relationship where he's pouring into this young man the things of Christ. He's empowering and equipping him. In 2 Timothy, which is the last writing of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he writes it, and as you read that one, if you read 1 and 2 Timothy this week, you'll read in 2 Timothy, there's a sense of urgency because he's imprisoned he believes he's about to be martyred, and from what we understand, he was martyred for preaching the gospel. 
after he writes 2 Timothy. And you can hear it in his tone as he talks to Timothy with great affection. He says in 2 Timothy 3.10 from the New Living Translation, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach. You know the doctrine. You know my teachings. But then he goes on, and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know my life, Timothy. You've been with me through the ups and the downs. You've seen me grow in Jesus. You've seen me become more like Christ. Can anyone say that about you? That you've let them see your way of life in Christ? Invite them to grow with you, not just learn from you. And let me give you a few tips of what that looks like. Number one, emphasize wisdom over knowledge. Emphasize wisdom over knowledge. You know, it's the Western world that has been obsessed with growing younger, where a 55-year-old would try to pull this off. Now, some of you who are 55 probably could pull this off. It's obvious I cannot. <laughs> we have this obsession in the West with growing younger, but you know, in parts of the world like Asia and Africa, they still hold to what the Bible speaks about, about how gray hair has wisdom. We should learn from the experience. We should gain from those who, who've walked the journey of life, who've walked the walk of Christ and his kingdom ahead of us. We should gain from them. We should learn from them and grow from them. And so as we talk about reaching the next generation, I'm not talking about driving the older generation out. The main ministry we established and focused on during COVID was we, we saw the Lord bring us Pastor Dick Thompson and our seasoned adults ministries to those 60 plus because we need the gray hair now more than ever in our world. But something's changed. You know, it used to be if you were newly married and you're kind of getting into your own house, you'd call your mom and your dad or your in-laws, you'd say, okay, we're gonna approach the bank for the mortgage, we're, we're trying to figure this out, we got some repairs to make, or we need some input, and you'd go to those who were older than you and experienced, and they would pour wisdom into your life. We've lost something in this generation. You know what this generation does? They Google it, and they get a YouTube video that tells them how to do it. So they get the facts, they get the information, but what they miss, they get the knowledge, but they miss the wisdom that comes. And so as we're pouring into the next generation, we need to bring wisdom with us, not just knowledge. Secondly, emphasize becoming overdoing. Paul says, as he talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.10, you know my life, the endurance, the patience. You know what I've gone through. This isn't just that we're teaching them the Christian faith so they can mark off that I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. This is not a to-do list or a to-don't list. Christianity and what we make disciples to understand is it's about becoming like Christ as you're transformed from the inside out. Thirdly, emphasize understanding over convincing. Emphasize understanding over convincing. I wanna speak directly to parents of young adults or teenagers and grandparents of young adults and teenagers. We get so concerned when they're questioning their values or they're processing stuff that we argue with them. We've got to convince them that what they're hearing in the world is wrong and that we've got the right message. And we, we get this posture of trying to convince them when for some of them, they just need to feel the grace that we're at least understanding why, we're, why they're grappling with that in this world today. The voices they're hearing Instead of just arguing and trying to convince them, we need to start with a posture of understanding so then we can share the truth with them. They need to feel our grace before they hear the message of God. They need to feel his grace through us. Emphasize understanding over convincing. 
Emphasize community over tribe. We are a community of believers. Why are we united this morning? Those of you who are in the room, those of you who are joining us online, how are we together? It's Jesus. I don't have much in common with some of you. You don't have much in common with somebody down the road from you. We have people of different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds. We have blue collar, we have white collar, we have educated, not educated. We have different racial makeup, a different racial blend and makeup in this room. We have different ethnicities in this room. We are a community, though, why? Because of Jesus. But the world is getting tribal, so much so to the point that we, we, we get so caught that we've got to hang out with our own people and it's us against them. And so we do that with, with blue collar, white collar. We do that with educated, uneducated. We do it according to race and ethnicity and we get into our tribes. We do that with political parties. And yet the body of Christ, what the next generation needs to know, that we are a community. We are a community in Christ. And finally, we need to emphasize the journey over the destination doing like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, when he said, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what he does with Timothy. He says, Timothy, come with me on this journey. Let's be in this journey together of the Christian walk and Christian ministry. And let, I want to give you a front row seat to see what God's doing in my life in this journey. You never arrive, Timothy, until you're with Jesus. So go on this journey with me. And we need to emphasize with the next generation, this is a journey, not a destination. You don't get to some point. You know, some of you who are maybe... Uh, in your 70s and 80s and have known Christ 30, 40, 50 years, your children and your grandchildren still need to see you growing in Jesus, that it's a journey, not a destination. Invite them to grow with you, not just learn from you. Secondly, show them the real you, not just the you everyone sees. This means you have to be open and transparent. And Paul is that with Timothy. He's open and transparent. Paul, when he's talking about Timothy to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church had all kinds of immorality and heresy, and he's sending Timothy to them to help them understand because they have said, Paul, who are you to tell us how to live or what to believe? Who are you? They were questioning his apostleship. They're, they're challenging him, and he's trying to work with them, and he sends Timothy to them. And look what he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 17. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Notice he says, he's gonna remind you of my way in life, how I have grown in Jesus and who I am in Christ which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. I'm not telling you one thing that, that is different than what I'm telling the church at Ephesus or Philippi. I'm communicating with you the way of life in Christ. I've been consistent. My life matches the message I preach. I know you're questioning me, but Timothy knows me so well, he knows me well enough to explain to you my way of life in Christ Jesus. He says, this man I have shown the real me not just the me that you see on the outside. Well, how do we do that with the next generation? Number one, emphasize heart over hype. Sometimes in Christianity, the next generation is looking at us and we're going through cancer, we're dealing with inflation, we're, we're struggling at work, and they say, oh, that must be hard. And we go, oh no, I've got Jesus, it's just wonderful, this cancer is great, this job thing, oh, that boss that's just terrible, it's just wonderful. And we put on this plastic smile and we give the next generation platitudes and they're not buying it. You say, well, aren't we supposed to be joyful? People who, yeah, in the ups and downs, yeah. But it's okay to say, yeah, this is really hard. I can't stand that boss. 
I don't know how I'm going to deal with them. I don't know how we're going to get through this cancer. I don't know how we're going to deal with these treatments. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this. God is with me. I know this. God will give me peace. I know this. God will give me joy. Don't just give the next generation plastic smiles and Christian platitudes. They want to see your heart, not the hype. Emphasize the struggles over successes. If you read 2 Timothy You read it with the understanding it's Paul's last letter to anybody that we have. Included in God's word, you you get the image of one who knows his time is coming to an end for preaching Jesus. He's got a sense of urgency in sharing with Timothy some final words and communicating love and affection for different leaders in different churches. Emphasize struggles over successes. It doesn't mean you don't say, praise the Lord, look what he did here, or give a testimony there, but also tell him how hard the struggle was before that success came and how you walked with Jesus. Emphasize conviction. Thirdly, emphasize conviction and compassion over conviction or compassion. What they hear from the divided tribal church today is you can have conviction without compassion or you can have compassion without conviction and that is not Jesus or the way of the kingdom. I preached this last week so I'm not gonna labor this point but let me encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go back and watch last week's sermon on how we dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion, how we do that while we hold on to our convictions. Maybe God convicted you or moved you last week in some way. God taught you something. He's taught me a lot as I've wrestled with this subject in the last few years, last few months, and even the last few weeks. Just before I preached that message last week, a book was released, and I didn't get a chance to read it until Monday or Tuesday of this week. It took me about four, four and a half hours to read the book, and I'm not a speed reader by any means. Matter of fact, I highlight things, and sometimes Leslie says, I should highlight the things I don't like in a book like this rather than things I do like because I highlight like three quarters of the book. (laughs) But two pastors, Patrick Miller and Keith Simon, have written a book called Truth Over Tribe. It takes what I preached last week and it takes it deeper. If you wanna, if the Lord convicted you or you wanna gain that perspective and deepen your perspective in this election year with an election approaching with the understanding of compassion and conviction, Go to our bookstore. We have some of these there. You can get them on Amazon. You can get the Audible version and listen to it. The subtitle of this book is Pledging Allegiance to the Lamb, Not the Donkey or the Elephant. And there's an emphasis on conviction and compassion. This is beautifully done, and it talks about how churches live that out in this polarized world and how that we reach our neighbors and our community and our world for Christ when it's truth over tribe. And finally, emphasize peace over prosperity if you want them to see the real you, not just the you everyone sees. Paul did that with Timothy. Let him walk with him, see the ups and downs. And instead of just saying, oh, it's all great, it's all prosperity, he says, no, it's tough. But in the midst of it all, I have peace. You read First and Second Timothy, you'll sense that Paul is saying to Timothy, don't be quarrelsome and argumentative and constantly at fight just so you can win some prosperity or win something. He talks about having peace and strength in the Lord. Show them the real you, not just the you everyone sees. If you want to impact the next generation, if you want to impact the next generation, thirdly, set them up for greater impact than you had, not just a similar one. Set them up for greater impact than you had, not just a similar one. A few weeks ago, we had two of our elders, Dan and Rick, up here with me and Brian Howard, and we shared with you that God has led us to have a vision and leadership that by 2030, 
Uh, pastor Brian Howard and I will switch roles, and he will be the senior pastor here. And then we talked about how the elders are asking me to uh, be the teaching pastor, and I initiated that conversation with them, and this is something I'm very excited about. And some people have come up to me and said, oh, you'll be too young to retire by then. I'm not retiring. Well, you're too young to quit. I'm not quitting. I'm so excited about that next phase of ministry. And so people come up and said those things to me, and I don't, please get this in your heads. I'm gonna serve Jesus as long as he'll let me, and as long as Calvary will let me stay here, I'm gonna stay here. But I'm gonna have a different role. And, and you know, we have a great history of 40-some years, and God did great things under the leadership of our founding pastor, Larry DeWitt, and the next generation was reached, and there were some wonderful things that happened. And in the last 10 to 12 years, we've seen God do some wonderful things in and through people who are part of Calvary. But my prayer is that what God does in the next generation under leadership and the next generation leadership team that includes Pastor Brian Howard as kind of a point leader, Lord willing, uh, my prayer is that the next generation of Calvary will, will see greater things done by God through them and in them than that was ever experienced by this church and, and under Larry's leadership or my leadership. Our goal is not just to set up the next generation for something similar to what we experienced. We want God to use them and bless them in mightier ways even that what we experienced in our generation or the generation before us experienced. And I'm passionate about that because Paul had that focus. He told the Philippian believers, in, as he's talking about Timothy again in another letter to a different church, a church at Philippi, in Philippians 2.22, he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. He's prepared because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. He's ready to go forward. And when you read First and Second Timothy, you get this, this, just this attitude and disposition that Paul has as he writes to Timothy. Timothy, I want you to even do greater things than I was able to do for the Lord. I pray for my children every day that they would know, love, and serve Jesus more than I ever did. Sometimes I meet Christian parents and grandparents and people in churches who are threatened by the spiritual vigor of their children and grandchildren, we shouldn't be. So how do you set them up for greater impact than you had, not just a similar one? Emphasize their needs over your needs. It saddens me sometimes when I hear people my age or older say, well, you know, what I need, what I need, I don't care what the children need or the students need, what I need. No, we should be focusing on their needs over our needs. We should emphasize their generation over our generation or your generation. I know we can look at this generation and say it's going, say it's going to heck in a handbasket, but there are some good things about the next generation. I'm excited about those that you saw on the stage here who have a passion for Jesus and what God is going to do for them. I came across some things that were collected from some teachers who asked some interesting questions on some exams and some homework assignments. It reminds us that the next generation is creative and they're thinking. One teacher said, write five words you can spell. And the person wrote, five words you can spell. The teacher wrote, very clever, and gave him two extra points. Then there was the young child who was challenged to help the maiden get through the maze to the castle, and they found an interesting route. It's accurate. I mean, the next generation can be creative. One teacher said, what are three things you want to do in the future? And this one boy said, get a girlfriend, kiss her, and rule the world. There's some good stuff in this next generation. Or the teachers who said, who is your hero? The response, dad, why do you consider this person your hero? He is brave. Is there anything your hero is frightened of? Mom. 
Sometimes we think the next generation, all they need is Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a righteous person is one who lives for the next generation. Are you living for the next generation or just your generation? Are you trying to figure out why they're struggling with what's going on in the world, why they're questioning some of the Christian values and traditional values of our land? Slow down and pour yourself into them. Pour Jesus into them. Emphasize their legacy over your legacy. I don't care what I'm known for. I would rather other people go down in history with a much bigger name than any name I would have. Ultimately, we want it to be about Jesus, but think about their legacy over your legacy. Last weekend, we had Camp 54. Fifth graders and fourth graders away for a weekend. Parents were there for quite a bit of this. It was a great opportunity for the kids to be having some fun, but to learn about Jesus. In this video, you're gonna see, you'll hear about what they learned and the fun they had, and you're gonna hear uh, Drew Walton teaching them. Our assistant high school pastor taught these fourth and fifth graders, and he talks about their part in the Calvary 2030 vision. Watch this. I love it here. This is actually my first time camping. I felt homesick, but once I got more into the weekend, I was just so happy. I was hesitant about going to Camp 54 too. I decided to just go and give it a try, and it was a lot of fun. We got playing nine square, go on the zip line, rock climbing. Uh, we went up that tube by the zip line. My friend went on the zip line. I checked it out. Worship's been fun. Um, I know all the dances. I like to sing loud for it, but I'm mostly screaming when I'm doing it. It's my favorite part of the day, worship. I learned from chapel that God is always with you. Even if you're in the darkest place, God is still with you. He has a plan for you. He has the path. You might think what your path is going to be like, but he knows. When you find yourself in a situation where you don't know how to help, when you don't know what to do for yourself or for the people around you, you get to hold on even when you don't know what to do. That God will help us to know what to do when the time comes. Joseph's brothers, they sold him to Egypt where he was sent to be a slave. Then he got thrown into jail. And I was just so impressed how he, he still kept up with God even though he went through all those tough times. I have a lot of friends here, but they're on the other team. It doesn't mean we're like enemies. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's still fun. The leaders, they just like let me be me. It's like great that I have like a leader that like can talk to me and understand me. So right now as a whole church, we're in our fall vision series, Calvary 2030. Fifth graders, did you know in 2030, you will be graduating high school? And we have every confidence that it's gonna be a beautiful next few years. And fourth and fifth graders, you are a big part of where our church is going in the next eight years. I wish I could stay here longer. It's gone by so fast. I wanna stay here for like another two weeks. Isn't it great? Did you hear Drew? Did you hear Drew mention you fifth graders are the class of 2030 and our church's vision, you're a big part of that. I love that. I love that we're giving this, this vision to the next generation as well. Did you hear the little girl say, I love having counselors who will let me talk and they understand me? They're starting with a place of understanding? That's a good thing. 
Finally, emphasize your growth over their growth as you set them up for greater impact than you had, not just a similar one. Now, this changes things. I'd said their needs, their generation, their legacy. Now, why am I emphasizing your growth? Because the best gift you can give your children, the best gift you can give your grandchildren, the best gift we can give the next generation here at Calvary is to see those who are the Pauls in their life still growing in Jesus until we're with Jesus. Because when they see you growing and changing, no matter what goes on in your lives and the struggles you have, they'll see Jesus coming through and they will want that Jesus that you display as you keep growing in Jesus. Fourth and finally, encourage them to invest in a Timothy, not just be one. As you disciple the next generation to pour into a Timothy, say to them, hey, go looking for someone you can pour into. I love that in a number of our ministries, we have high schoolers and middle schoolers working with younger children because they need to learn. I learned as a kid in middle school and high school as the people in my church allowed me to serve. God can use me, God can use me, and I can pour into others. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses. You tell some others. And then he says, and trust Timothy, and trust this to reliable people. You tell others who are trustworthy, and then you, with those reliable people, tell them to tell others who will be also qualified to teach others. You see, this generation, the generation, we are disciples, making disciples who make disciples. I shared with you uh, a couple of weeks back that little piece of wood, that brown piece of wood that said 2 Timothy 2.2. A mentor gave that to me in my sophomore year of college in a Christian college as I was preparing for ministry. They said, not only in ministry but in life, make sure you're following 2 Timothy 2.2 and what Paul poured into Timothy. Timothy, as I poured into you, you find reliable people, the right kind of people that you can pour into who will pour into others. My wife was so kind. We had someone who cut up little pieces of two-by-two wood, and then Leslie wrote 2 Timothy 2.2, just that reference on a couple thousand pieces of wood that were cut. On your way out, the ushers will have them in baskets at the door, and I want to encourage you uh, to take that little piece, and every time you see it, ask yourself, who's the Paul who's pouring into my life, and who's the Timothy I'm pouring into their life for Jesus? Just take that little piece and let it be a reminder. You gotta put it somewhere where you can stop someone from throwing away. Many of my assistants over the years, I've had that thing for over 30 years, and many times they think, oh, what is this trash? They wanna throw it away. But take that and let it be a reminder to you of what 2 Timothy 2.2 stands for. He says, what I've said to you, what you've, I've communicated to you with my way of life, you find reliable people and pour into them. What do reliable people that we pour into look like ourselves if you're looking for a Timothy? And then what do we teach our Timothys to look for in Timothys themselves? Emphasize family over the individual. Reaching the whole family. We saw that in Acts 16 with Lydia's family, the jailer's family. Emphasize character over calling. I've met people say, I'm called to follow Jesus and their character doesn't match it. Look for people who are growing in the Lord and want their character to grow in the Lord, not just they feel called to live for Jesus or serve Jesus to pour into them. Emphasize teachable over knowledgeable. When we look for staff members and leaders in our church from within the body, uh, we're looking not for people who know the most information. We're looking for people who are teachable. We want, I want to be teachable. I want to die as a teachable person, always learning and growing in the Lord. When you pour into a Timothy or you teach a Timothy to reach another Timothy, emphasize teamable over capable. Sometimes we look for the people who are the best and the brightest. And you know what I've learned over 30 years of ministry? The ones who shine the most are like Timothy was, teamable. He joined that team with Saul, or excuse me, uh, Paul and Silas and Luke. Look for people who are willing to grow and learn and work together. 
I even like that little girl in the video who said, a lot of my friends are on the other team, but that's okay because, yeah, we're competing, but it's not about winning or losing. That's a teamable spirit. Encourage them to invest in a Timothy, not just be one. Are you investing in a Timothy? Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? Take that piece of wood at the door and ask yourself, am I as a disciple pouring in to other people to come to Jesus and help them grow in Jesus so they can reach others for Jesus who will pour into others? That's not a pastor thing. That's the mission of every follower of Christ. And we have this vision in, in the future as a church. It's laid out in this booklet. And if you look at page uh, 22 and 23 of the vision booklet, you can pick one up in the lobby, one of these booklets. You can get this booklet and then uh, it says decisively empower our next generation on page 22. We see a church that decisively empowers the next generation to reach the world for Christ. In the bottom corner of page 23, it says, honor, celebrate, and memorialize the history of our church for future generations. Again, reaching the next generation is not about pushing one generation out the door. It's celebrating what they have done to set us up and to prepare the next generation. Raise up and equip next generation leaders to fill key roles at every level of Calvary. Passing the baton to the next generation. Develop and launch an online ministry strategy and team to reach the next generation. We work on this, but we need to even get better at the digital and social communication to reach the next generation for Jesus. We've upgraded our middle school, high school family, or excuse me, our uh, special abilities ministries areas. The facilities are sharp tools, but we've done some in early childhood and elementary. We still have more to finish that to make them the sharpest tools possible to reach the next generation. Pick up that piece of wood. Recognize your calling to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. I'm excited about our opportunity to invest in the next generation. Who's your Paul pouring into you? Who's your Timothy that you're pouring into? Thank you, Father, for the example of Paul and Timothy and their relationship. Thank you for just Acts 16 that so emphasizes reaching the next generation, the next generation. Thank you, Father, for the rich history that began under Pastor Larry's leadership that's continued in recent years and that we're praying will be true for us as we go toward 2030 of making sure we're making disciples of the next generation. Guide us, lead us, show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen.